Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis, and I hope all of you had phenomenal July 4ths. I certainly did. Had a really good time with my family. Uh, I hope all of you did as well. Uh, encourage you, as always, go subscribe to all of the Outkick-related uh, accounts, including on uh, YouTube, where we now have 1.2 million subscribers for the OutKick YouTube channel. Continue to grow that at a rapid rate. That is a testament to you guys. Click like and subscribe, and you will be able to ensure that you don't miss a moment of any of our programs. Certainly, that remains the case for Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, I believe, Rumble. We are everywhere where video is, and uh, we're going to be expanding and adding a new morning show uh, starting in August with Charlie Arnault, um, and I think you guys are really going to be enjoying that. All on the horizon, my hope is 7 to 7. We will have 12 straight hours of programming you guys will be able to enjoy. All right, let's start here. This is, I believe, the most significant ruling of a district court judge in the COVID era and maybe in the 21st century, what came down yesterday on July 4th from Judge Dowdy uh, in Louisiana, a district court judge there. Props to LSU, uh, LSU Law School producing Judge Dowdy, ruling that uh, he found it likely that the federal government Joe Biden basically all the way down through everybody in a position of power had been engaging in unconstitutional infringements of First Amendment rights by default deputizing these social media companies to undertake actions that if the government did it themselves would be clear First Amendment violations. Let me explain exactly what that entails. Uh, and the easiest way to uh, to bring that home is to say the government may not deputize a third party to do something that the government itself would be constitutionally forbidden to do. And I've been making this argument now for several years. So as I read this opinion on July 4th, I just kept nodding. I was so glad that this ruling has finally come down because I've seen this as someone who ran OutKick. And those of you who have been long-term uh, or even short-term, really, depends on how you define terms, who've been following OutKick for several years, you'll remember that in March of 2021, I traveled to Washington, D.C., where I testified under oath about what I had seen big tech companies doing to OutKick's traffic. And in particular, I focused on when we had Donald Trump on my Outkick the Coverage morning radio show as president of the United States, we wrote about it at Outkick, and almost immediately our Facebook traffic vanished uh, because they did not want articles like 
hours to be written and be able to be widely shared because we were arguing things which at that time were considered controversial. Schools should be back open. Remember, this was verboten. You weren't allowed to say these things. Uh, Kids should be able to play sports. In particular, college athletics should exist. We wrote those articles that came out of Donald Trump's appearance on my radio program, and our site traffic on Facebook vanished, costing us substantial amounts of, of money in the process. And the reason why I think this is also consequential is because as soon as the Biden administration got into the White House, they began to bully all of the social media companies and try to keep them from allowing uh, the marketplace of ideas, the First Amendment arguments to exist because they labeled it misinformation. And I thought this really summed it up well. Uh, One of our readers out there, when I shared this, and I would encourage all of you, don't take my word for this, okay? Never take my word for anything by itself. Go read the real document yourself. You can go read this 155-page document yourself. Uh, but inside of the, the, of the opinion uh, was written this. Although this case is still relatively young, and at this stage the court is only examining it in terms of plaintiff's likelihood of success on the merits, the evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. And much of what the federal government told you actually wasn't true. It wasn't science. It was anti-science. And so the idea that you wouldn't allow people to, for instance, argue, hey, the young kids need to be in masks. Uh, Do we need to mandate the COVID shot for anyone, but certainly for young, healthy people? Is it safe to be able to play football? Should you be able to go to an outdoor park and hike or go on a paddleboard on the beach or hang out? Uh, on the beach, all of these things, all of these things were restricted in many ways. And it's important to recognize that the government got it all wrong. And the fact that you weren't allowed to engage in debate on these issues is a testament to the most sacred of our rights, which is our First Amendment rights. The marketplace of ideas wasn't truly in existence because of the collusion between government and big tech and the threats that were put forward from the government towards the big tech platforms if they didn't comply with their censorship request. And and so this ruling, I hope uh, the Biden administration, and I would expect that they would, appeals this to the Fifth Circuit because I think the Fifth Circuit will further endorse this opinion And I think this is a seismically important ruling that should go all the way to the Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court should speak out in favor of civil liberties, in favor of First Amendment rights, and against the government being able to curtail the opinions of their political enemies in an artificial construct to directly inhibit the marketplace of ideas. This is, 
I believe, hugely important. And it needs to rise all the way to the Supreme Court and become a new precedent of First Amendment law. Because, and I've been saying this for years, our constitutional rights matter more in times of crisis and danger than they do in times of peace. Because it is far easier to restrict our constitutional rights in a time of perceived crisis when there is a threat than there is in a time of peace. And so that is when our constitutional freedoms and our liberty matters the most, is when there are times of peril, when there are times of crisis, when danger and fear runs rampant, is when our constitutional protections matter the most because the marketplace of ideas is how we work through many of these challenging issues. And, you know, what's disappointing to me is, and we talked about this some on Clay and Buck, I am in many ways an old school liberal when it comes to First Amendment rights. In fact, in my new book, uh, which is going to be out August 8th, American Playbook, I actually do something interesting. I publish the very first thing that ever was published under my name. But I mean this honestly. When I was a freshman at George Washington University, I published a letter to the editor defending the First Amendment and defending the marketplace of ideas and the free expression of opinion. That used to be a liberal value. You go back and look back in the day, the ACLU stood up for the right of Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois, surrounded by many Holocaust survivors. Not because the ACLU supported the political opinions of Nazis, they certainly did not, but because a commitment to principle and a commitment to the idea that all speech must be protected. In fact, in Judge Dowdy's opinion, which I cannot impress upon you enough. I just encourage all of you to go read it. And I love the fact that he released it on July 4th. Um, he begins his, his opinion uh, with a quote near the top. And I think it's so important. I may disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. And he attributes that to Evelyn Beatrice Hill from 1906, the Friends of Voltaire. Let me repeat that. I may disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. You need to stand on principle over politics. And that's why when Elon Musk shared uh, that uh, meme of somebody standing on the political spectrum, and it showed him back in the day, this is where I was, I was a little bit to the left of center, right? Relatively moderate Democrat. And then the Democrats embraced identity politics, cancel culture, and the idea that words are violence and ran so far left wing that I, without moving at all, went from left of center to right of center. That's what happens when you stand on principle. Sometimes the political party that you used to uh, be a member of 
leaves you. Well, I didn't leave the Democrats. Democrats left me. I've stood and, and remain steadfast pretty much everything that I believe. And I would encourage you, if you are interested in this, go buy American Playbook. I'll take you through the entire process by which I came to vote for Donald Trump in 2020 and why I would be stunned beyond belief if I was going to even remotely consider voting for anybody other than a Republican in 24. Now, who knows? Maybe Robert F. Kennedy Jr. somehow ends up the Democrat nominee. He says a lot of the things that I agree with. Maybe the Democrat Party comes back to sanity. I don't think that they are. But right now, this opinion from Judge Dowdy is what true courage looks like. And I want all of you to think about this. We have heard for years now, since Donald Trump was elected, this obsession with hammering, oh, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Oh, I'm going to be on the right side of history. I would submit to you, I am very confident that long after I'm gone, 60 years from now, when I've been dead for some time, 100 years from now, when I've certainly been dead for some time, having been in favor of schools staying open and having been in favor of not shutting down businesses and having supported basic First Amendment values, even in a time of national upheaval and uproar, I'm going to be on the right side of history. People who shut down schools and force two-year-olds to wear masks for years are going to be on the wrong side of history. And one of the lessons that I've been hammering for years is this. You oftentimes don't know which side is the right side of history. History teaches you to be humble in terms of analyzing what people are going to say about you hundreds of years from now. But you can already tell that those of us who fought to keep America open and those of us who fought to keep kids in schools and those of us stood on the principle of everyone should be able to say exactly what they think on social media, we're going to be on the right side of history. And the Dr. Fauci's, the Joe Biden's, uh, the Rochelle Walensky's, all of those people are, in my opinion, indisputably going to be on the wrong side of history. And you can all, the Randy Weingartens, you can already see them desperately fighting to pretend that they didn't stand up for what they stood up for. COVID shot mandates, all of it. I'm confident that I'm going to be on the right side of history. And so I give a props to Judge Dowdy with what other than Judge Mizell, who took away the requirement that everybody wear masks on airplanes, remember that that's when that ended? Remember all those moments of people going viral, pulling the masks off their faces as all of the airplane pilots got on and said, you no longer have to wear a mask? Remember how the Biden administration lost their mind and said, oh, we're going to fight this, and then it just kind of has vanished? Judge Mizell's opinion is incredibly consequential. She was right. Judge Dowdy is too. Both of those judges, by the way, Trump appointees who have been willing to stand up for what is right at the federal district court level. I think the two most consequential opinions of uh, the COVID era so far and the Judge Dowdy opinion, I encourage all of you to read. I think it is the most consequential. Uh, okay, 
What has the fallout been from this? The big point of discussion, what have we actually learned from the fallout? Red has gotten redder. Blue has gotten bluer. Red has gotten redder primarily because people who are sane and live in California or New York or Illinois are leaving those bastions of left-wing governor and city uh, rulings, and they're moving to red states. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And this I saw, I think I hinted at this, but this was an Axios story this morning. The six fastest growing states in the South, that is Florida, Texas, Georgia, North and South Carolina, and Tennessee, now add more to the national GDP than the Northeast. It's a big deal. The Northeast used to be the economic engine of the United States. This Boston, uh, New York City, Philadelphia, D.C. corridor, uh, I've spent time there. I went to college there. I certainly still travel a lot back to New York for work. Um, the six southern states are now producing more economic power than the Northeast. And I want to hit you with this. $100 billion in wealth migration has moved from the Northeast to the Southeast in 2020 and 2021 alone, while the Northeast lost $60 billion in uh, transplant money. Think about that. And I, and I got to be honest with you, I live in Tennessee, okay? I've got a, a place in Florida, and I'm also building a place in Florida. Why would I ever live in a state that has a state income tax? If you make very much money at all, you are paying a massive tax in order to live in New York, L.A., or Illinois. I think Tennessee, the Carolinas, uh, Texas, and Florida are better places to live than the Northeast or California, in my personal opinion. I primarily live in Tennessee and in Florida. Tennessee is my home state. I'm here most of the time. Why in the world would I be willing to give tons of money to New York and California and Illinois for the privilege of being living in those states when I love where I live now and I don't have to pay any state income tax. And the reality is the more money you make, the less sense it makes to be giving all of that money to New York, California, or Illinois. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. If you make a million dollars a year, you are paying around $150,000 to New York or California for the privilege of living in those states that you wouldn't pay in Tennessee, Texas, or Florida. Do you know how awesome of a house you can get for $150,000 a year in mortgage payments in Tennessee, Texas, or Florida? 
That's money that's coming directly out of your pocket that goes to the government that you never get back. Or you could take that 150000 and roll it into uh, being able to have a home and use it to pay your mortgage. And by the way, if you make $10 million a year, it's $1.5 million. You make $100 million in a year, it's $15 million. There's no place in America that is that great that I would give 15% of my income for the privilege of living there when I could keep that 15% in Texas, Tennessee, or Florida. Just as those three examples. I think Nevada has no state income tax. There are other states that also have no state income tax. If you're wealthy, you should never live in New York, California, or Illinois. And what you're seeing is that money is rapidly relocating to the South. And it's reconfiguring political power in a massive way going forward. And it's only going to continue as red gets redder and blue gets bluer. Um, We got cocaine in the White House. Now, look, it's easy to blame Hunter Biden. But according to a story that came out uh, right before I sat down to do this show, they're now saying we'll never know who brought cocaine to the White House. We're not going to be able to figure it out. Well, seems like a relatively small number of people who could have done that, right? But the bigger issue here, in my opinion, is we're talking about Hunter Biden continuing to get away with all behavior uh, uh, of a criminal nature. We had Chris Christie on. He said, certainly Hunter Biden got a sweetheart deal. You know, 67% of Americans believe Hunter Biden got a sweetheart deal, according to Miranda Devine's story that went up at the New York Post based on a Rasmussen poll. 67%. Over the weekend, there was a story that Hunter Biden drove 172 miles an hour in a Porsche while smoking crack between California and Las Vegas, no punishments, okay? So a lot of people immediately make the joke of, oh, there's cocaine in the White House, it must be Hunter's. And look, that wouldn't surprise me at all because Hunter Biden has never had to pay consequences for his behavior. He believes that he is above the law because of who his dad is. So it wouldn't stun me if this were Hunter Biden's cocaine. But why can't they figure out whose cocaine it is? Just like they said, oh, we could never figure out who leaked the Supreme Court case in Dobbs. Now we can't, even though there's a relatively small number of people who could have done it. Now we can't figure out who in the world could be responsible for the cocaine in the White House. And all I would say on it is imagine the way the reaction would be if this were the Trump White House. And if there had been topless influencers at a White House event, as happened on Pride Day or Trans Visibility or whatever the heck they were doing at the White House. And then there was cocaine. Because remember, the Biden White House said, we're going to restore morality and decency to the White House as soon as we get into office. The adults are back in charge. Topless influencers and cocaine now inside of the White House. Just pointing it out, it's a big deal. Uh, in terms of sending the message about what the Biden uh, administration actually does versus what they claim to do. Uh, Okay, Uh, Bamani Jones has had his HBO show canceled after two years because no one watched it. Bobby Barak at OutKick broke that story. This means Bamani Jones has now had a radio show canceled. 
He had the least successful ESPN radio show of all time. Lost his radio show. He then had a television show uh, that was amazingly promoted. They spent gobs of money on it. It was canceled on ESPN. And now they are canceling his HBO show. I would submit to you, maybe you can think of someone. I can't think of anyone who has had a radio show canceled, who has had a television show canceled, both at ESPN, and then would get rewarded with his own television show on HBO, which is also canceled. This is further evidence that woke sports doesn't work and also that there's no marketplace for it, but that if you have far left-wing opinions, you keep getting promoted even if you consistently fail. No one has failed more times and been paid more for it than Bamani Jones at ESPN. He'll come out and say, oh, it's because America's fundamentally a racist country, right? Because you can't ever be responsible for your own failure in the left-wing victim culture. I would submit to you that the only reason Bamani Jones got three shows, all three of which failed, and each of which was a promotion, is important. You have a failed radio career, you usually don't get a television show. You have a failed television show, you usually don't get a promotion and a bigger show. Bamani Jones has failed three times each time he's gotten a new promotion. What's going to happen next? To probably get a CNN or an MSNBC show. Because there is no consequences. When you have left-wing political opinions, you are protected, you are promoted, you are given more money, even though everything you do fails. And that brings me to Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill came out. I actually feel sorry for Jamel. I, I like Jamel. Before social media drove her bonkers in the Trump presidency, I had a good relationship with Jamel. She used to come on my shows. I consider her to be a friend. I still think she could be saved from the ravages of Trump derangement syndrome, but I think she spiraled out of control. She lost all touch with reality. And now everything that happens is white supremacy. She went on Twitter and said, the Supreme Court decision to do away with affirmative action in college and university admissions, which was predicated on Asian applicants being discriminated against based on their race, she said that was an example of white supremacy. Asian people being discriminated against based on their race was an example of white supremacy. And you know, what's so interesting about the affirmative action, I voted for Barack Obama twice, 08 and 12. And Obama came out, and Michelle Obama came out, and they said, oh, this is a disaster, all these things, right? I would love to ask Barack Obama, you and your wife are both Harvard Law School graduates. You were elected president of the United States. In fact, you ran in 2008 on America such an amazing country that even I could be elected president of the United States as a mixed-race kid with basically a single parent. That was a sign of America's innate potential and of its growth as a nation, okay? And I like that campaign. I've argued and write about it a great deal in my book. 
Obama 2008, very similar to Ronald Reagan 1980 and Bill Clinton 1992. All three of those campaigns, at their essence, were America's awesome campaign. Okay? Why Barack Obama and Michelle Obama do your daughters deserve affirmative action? Your daughters are both the daughters of double Harvard Law alums. Your family is now worth $100 million. At the time that your girls applied to college, you were the president of the United States. Why do your daughters deserve affirmative action? Why should your daughters receive preferential admissions treatment, not only as minorities, but also as legacies, over a poor kid growing up in West Virginia or Kentucky or Tennessee, white kid with no advantages, parents may have never been to college. I'd love to hear that explained. Of course, nobody's going to ask them because you have a protectionist slate in media today. But the answer is, of course, they shouldn't. If you want to use socioeconomics and argue, hey, first-generation college applicants deserve preferential treatment, I wouldn't disagree with you. I didn't get any legacy benefit for going to George Washington or going to uh, Vanderbilt. My wife didn't get any at the University of Michigan or Vanderbilt. I don't think our kids should. I believe in the meritocracy. I think my kids should have to stand on their own two feet just like I did and either get in or not get in as a function to any school of their own uh, personal success or failure. Just like I did. Just like my wife did. I don't believe in preferential treatment. But I would love to hear the Obamas answer why their daughters deserve and why their grandkids would deserve preferential treatment. I don't think they'd have a very good answer. Because whatever your background is, you're probably way less advantaged than the Obama daughters. And whenever the Obamas have grandkids, the Obama grandkids. Also, let me circle back for a minute on the ruling from the L.A. judge. Don't mistake how many media out there, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, are actually upset that a judge has said the First Amendment should prohibit the government from colluding with big tech companies to ban opinions that they don't like. Look at how much of a defense of big government now comes from big media. The number one thing that media should support, and I will support for the rest of my life, is a robust and uninhibited First Amendment. Because I don't want somebody telling me what I can say, and I don't want someone telling me what OutKit can say, or any other company I may work at in the years ahead, or any other company I may own. Every media company owes its existence to the First Amendment. The idea that you should be opposed to the First Amendment and in favor of government censorship is the antithesis of what a free and fair media in this country is all about, but note how many were opposed to it. Um, I went to go see the new Indiana Jones. I went to go see the new Indiana Jones, 
And here is my power ranking of the Indiana Jones movies, okay? Number one, as an adult. As an adult, the best Indiana Jones movie is The Last Crusade. 1989, Sean Connery, Harrison Ford, the best Indiana Jones movie, Last Crusade. Second best Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Confident in those two. Now, third best Indiana Jones movie, Temple of Doom. As a kid, Temple of Doom was my favorite Indiana Jones movie. I went and saw in 1984, when Temple of Doom came out, remember, movies used to stay in the movie theater for the whole summer. I went and saw Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom eight times. Eight times I went to the movie theater. I was five years old. Every single family member of mine took me to see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, my cousins, my uncles, my mom, my dad, Eight times over the course of that summer. It was, as a kid, my favorite movie that was ever made. Watching it now as an adult, third best Indiana Jones movie. Fourth spot. The new one, Dial of Destiny. I didn't hate it. I did. I understand people out there. I try to be honest with you guys. I understand people out there say, oh, I hated this movie. It was awful. I didn't. I took my 8-year-old. I took my 12-year-old. The three of us went. My oldest is away at camp right now. Three of us went to go watch this movie at IMAX. I really liked it. I thought it was pretty good, okay? Solid Indiana Jones movie. Could have been better, certain. But I thought it was pretty good. I would put it in fourth spot. And then in the fifth spot, I would put the uh, uh, the Temple of the Skulls or whatever it was, like 15 years ago. So that's my power ranking of the Indiana Jones movies. I am not opposed to Dial of Destiny. I enjoyed it. If you liked the Indiana Jones movies, I think you will like it too. Um, there were things I would have changed. But as a general rule, pretty solid movie. Um, and uh, I, I would encourage you guys to all check it out. Um, I want to mention this too. Over the weekend, story came out. One of the big uh, arguments for Joe Biden has been his innate decency. I talked earlier about cocaine, topless people. They say, oh, Joe Biden will restore a sense of decency to the White House. There was a story about Hunter Biden having a four-year-old daughter that has never met Hunter Biden and has never met Joe Biden. She knows that her dad and her grandfather are Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. She knows that her grandfather is the president of the United States. Joe Biden has never, ever interacted with her, and neither has Hunter Biden. In fact, they fought against her existence to the point that Joe Biden has even instructed everybody in the White House to say that he has six grandkids, not seven grandkids. This is the biological granddaughter of Joe Biden. He is refusing to acknowledge her existence and, in fact, is saying that he only has six grandkids, not seven. This four-year-old girl has done nothing wrong. She had nothing to do with her birth. She had nothing to do with the circumstances surrounding it. If you were truly 
a good and decent man, would you at minimum acknowledge your granddaughter and have some form of relationship with her? Imagine if Donald Trump had a grandchild that he refused to acknowledge and instructed all White House staff to deny the existence of to the point where he won't even claim her as a granddaughter. The media would be in a feeding frenzy over this. Be consistent. Be fair. This is utterly indefensible behavior on the part of Hunter Biden, certainly, but also Joe Biden refusing to acknowledge one of his own children. Uh, all right. I love all of you. I will be back tomorrow. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been OutKick the show.